Welcome back to another episode of Stat Stories. I'm Chad Shanks. And I'm Justin Kabatko. And on today's episode, the trade deadline craziness is ramping up, but we may have already seen the biggest deal of the of the season go down already. Uh, also, we have a rookie phenom in Dallas that's getting some help, and also a former number one pick that we may not see for quite some time. But first, like I said, the trade deadline, as of when we're recording this, it's still more than 24 hours away, but it has already been just full-fledged crazy, uh, including waking up this morning and seeing that the Clippers had shipped Tobias Harris and assorted uh, assorted players with him to the Sixers in exchange for basically some, some good picks and Wilson Chandler. Um, Justin, we haven't had a whole lot of time to look at this deal and break it down, but what are your initial thoughts on seeing Tobias Harris heading to Philly? I think it's one of those trades that actually benefits both teams. I mean, Philly's obviously in win-now win mode, right? And the Clippers probably would prefer not to make the playoffs, really. Uh, they're trying to clear out cap space for next summer, and so this trade allows them to get rid of a player who is going to be a free agent, would have been very expensive for them to retain. They get back some really nice um, assets in terms of draft picks in return. So I think it's a, it's a win for the Clippers, and then it's a win for the Sixers because Tobias Harris... Had he played in the Eastern Conference, which I guess he does play, well, he will be playing in the Eastern Conference now, but had he been playing in the Eastern Conference all season and putting up these stats, he would be an all-star um, in the East. So, you know, the, the Sixers are acquiring a really, really good player for um, a few months, possibly more. I'm sure their their intention is to try to sign him, but that's going to be really tricky for them, given Butler will also be due a contract. But anyway, that's that's too far out for them to worry about right now. I think they're just, like I said, they're in win-now mo- win mode. And in terms of the uh, their 2019 championship odds, I believe this uh, increases them. Yeah. Does he, does he immediately become their number two option on offense? Do you think he's – would you rather go to him than Jimmy Butler? Or, I mean, especially Ben Simmons, who you don't really look for to score, even though he does put up his fair amount. I mean, is he – is he their clear-cut number two option behind no, Embiid? I would say he'll be their number three option behind Embiid and, and Butler. Um, but, you know, Harris arguably having a better season than Butler. His, his shooting splits this season are just great. Like, he's shooting almost 50% from the field, like 43% from three-point range. I think his free-throw percentage is 88%. So, like, the guy can score. He's got size. He's 6'9". He's he's still pretty young. He's not going to be 27 until July. This is a really really good player. The Sixers picked up. Not and granted they they gave a lot away in terms of future draft picks, but it, it's I, true in terms of you know they they want to win something now. This is a good this is a good move for them. Yeah, Philly has been hoarding draft picks for for years. Like they've they've done their draft thing. We're definitely to the point of the process now where it's 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 time to get rid of those draft picks for for things that can help them now. And the process just really hasn't played out the way I thought it would. Um, You know, given the number of draft picks they've had that are no longer with the team or just kind of gone nowhere, they've essentially built their team around uh, two injury riddled draft picks who have luckily turned out okay and then gotten rid of the rest of them or, you know, whatever, and then picked up veterans from free agency or from trade which is just not really the way i pictured the process going down uh but i guess that's maybe that's why they wanted to get rid of hinky i don't know um i'm not one of those blame hinky people um 
but yeah, but still, this it's just not the way I figured it would it would plan out. And probably by the time anyone listens to this, another piece of co- the process could be gone. So they're saying Markel Fultz is going to be out the door. So just the fact that Philly is where they are to be competitive in the East, and after this trade, I mean, you could make a good argument that they may be the team to beat in the East, um, even though Milwaukee, I still think, it has a, a firm grasp on that. Yeah, I would say, though, that, like, this is the reason you stockpile draft assets is so you can make moves like this. So I, I think this probably was part of Hinky's long-term plan. You know, you're gonna you're gonna get all these young players. You're gonna hope that you hit on a couple of them, and then you have all these future assets that hopefully you can flip and turn into players who will help you now. So I, th- I think actually this is probably how he envisioned things working out. Unfortunately for him, he's not there to to enjoy all of it. <laughs> but we remember. We know we know who gets the credit for this. Uh, do you think that they're the team to beat in the East, or are you still you still on Milwaukee? I'm still on Milwaukee. I really like Milwaukee. That, uh, and I would like Toronto as well too. Uh, but you know, like we were talking about the last time, you know, there's there's four really really good teams in the East, and I, I could envision a scenario, you know, in which each of them wins it so it's to me it's still kind of up in the air but i would if if i had to place some of my money on it i guess i would go with milwaukee but i would not put a whole lot down on that and one thing where we need to be sure to remember is that philly is also picking up the most efficient scorer in nba history in boban i mean the numbers don't lie he is the he has the highest efficiency of any player in nba history isn't that correct and there is no way that to misconstrue those numbers except to say yeah. that Boban I don't know is, what if, I is mean, the greatest of scorer of all time. There's lots of efficiency stats out there. I don't know which one you're referring to specifically. But yeah, Boban's per minute stats are amazing. Unfortunately, he cannot play a lot of those minutes. And often when he's out there, there are some significant mismatches. So there's well, some good and some bad with Boban. Yeah, all good in my view. Um so speaking of not playing very many minutes, I um, mean the the biggest what I thought I don't know how it's going to be topped unless AD is moved, but that's just a a circus right now. But the biggest move possibly of the season was made last week, and I'm sure you've heard every take possible. But now you get to hear ours, and that's uh, Chris Stapps Porzingis going to Dallas. Um, he hasn't played since I mean, God, when when was his last game? Last season, sometime. Um, February, he's definitely I March? yeah, no February. Yeah, he has been on the shelf, and then coincidentally, in a, a crazy turn of events, we get the story broken that he told the Knicks he's unhappy, and then in a matter of minutes or hours, you hear that he's traded to Dallas. Um, we're not going to get into kind of the fishiness there about who who leaked those stories and for why, but um, yeah, Chris Stapps going to Dallas. Um, what do you think about this, Justin? Is this, is first of all, who got the best of this deal? Because the Knicks, of course, are trying to open up as much cap space as possible so they can sign big name free agents. Um, so they're trying to just clear the bo- excuse me, clear the books, get some draft picks. Dallas thinks that Chris Stapps is a guy that they can build around um, a franchise player. Um, what are your thoughts on that move? Uh, so my thoughts are similar to the move we just discussed with the Clippers and the Sixers. I think this kind of benefits both teams. It was clear that Porzingis did not want to be in New York anymore for various reasons. And, you know, if you've got a a young player who um, doesn't want to be there, 
it's probably not in your best interest to keep him around. And, you know, this free agent season, upcoming free agent season, is going to be uh, a really interesting one. And there are lots of good, um, great players that are going to be available. So I think if, and then it's like, I think two years from now, it's a really weak class. So relatively speaking. So I, I think if the Knicks wanted to do something, now was a good time to do it. And, you know, there's going to be questions around Porzingis' health until we we see him on the court again you know he's missed in new york he missed 60 out of a possible 246 games so like 25 percent of the of the games he could have played in, he missed so given that you know the questions about his desire to be there the quest the questions about his his health moving forward i i don't really blame the knicks for wanting to move on from him I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that he is going to recover fully from his injuries because the Knicks traded him. That was the magic that was the magic potion he needed was to get out of New York and just because that's the decision the Knicks made to go in line with the, every decision they've made the last 20 whatever years, it's going to blow up in their faces and he's going to be fine. Had he stayed with the Knicks, he probably never would have played again and he would have just you know, had a Brandon Roy situation or something like that. But since the Knicks got rid of him, now I'm I'm completely on board the the Porzingis train. I mean, do you do you see that this Knicks organization just are they ever going to be competitive again? Like how how bad do they have to be before the league tries to step in and, and does something with this franchise and how Dolan is just run it into the ground? Yeah, I mean, I I guess my opinion would be as long as Dolan is there. Um... I question whether or not they'll have the stability they need <laughs> to be an organization that's attractive to star players. Um, I don't. I, I just don't see it getting to the point unless Dolan is like breaking the law. I don't. I don't see it getting to a point where the league intervenes. I don't know how they could. They could do something like that. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense um, from the league standpoint to intervene. Like if you're if you're an incompetent owner, that's you know, well, the other teams are are gonna. <laughs> are going to enjoy that, I guess, because that's just one one fewer competitor for them to worry about. Yeah, unless like audio recording surface of him saying incredibly racist things, I guess that's the that's the standard for getting removed. But um, if there if there was some kind of clause for a league impeachment for just complete incompetence, they have to be there. I mean, three winning seasons since 2001, 2002. Four playoff berths, even though one you know, they they made it one year when they were below five hundred, um, they won one playoff series, um, swept twice in those. Yeah, I mean under Dolan's tenure, which began in ninety nine, seventeen presidents, twelve head coaches, like, even Phil Jackson couldn't succeed there. Uh, yeah, and, and and Jeff Van Gundy quit like nineteen games into his final season in New York. He just he just resigned. He said that's it. I've had it. <laughs> Now he he said he did it because he just didn't have the the desire to do it anymore, and he felt like he wasn't giving himself fully to the job, and that's why he he left. I wonder if there may have been other things going on that that caused him to to get out of town. It's a lot. It's yeah. It's really we've been in good and bad jobs before, as has everyone. It's a lot easier to, to fully give yourself to a job when you're not working for complete morons or you're not in a situation that's just a dysfunctional dumpster fire all the time. So, yeah. So even Nick's clear out as much cap space as you want. If I'm Kevin Durant, if I'm whoever you know, whoever they're trying to 
target in free agency with all this cap room they're creating, why would you go there? I mean, there's enough there's enough smoke to know that that is a dumpster fire, complete dumpster fire. I I just can't imagine it turning around until the ownership is is changed. Yeah, I mean every every free agent season, right? You hear about these players considering the Knicks, and then no one ever chooses the Knicks. So. You know, you're going to hear the same thing this season or this this summer. You're going to hear the same thing. Players considering the Knicks. And I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the summer, they're still the same old Knicks. Yeah. I mean, they have they've had one thing going for them this entire time is that they have really what I think. Correct me if you disagree. The only true destination arena in the NBA um, you know, it's the only arena, Madison Square Garden's only arena that competes with the light, you know, what MLB has with Wrigley Field or Fenway, like a place that you just have to go and is a magical experience regardless of who's on the court. I mean, the Cubs took huge advantage of that for years and years of being god-awful and people would still, they'd sell out the games because Wrigley was such a magical place to go. Likewise, the Knicks have the Garden. If they ever tried to move to like some big new super arena then i i think things would just fall completely off the rails have you ever got have you ever got to see a game at madison square garden i have not i've never been to the garden it's worth it it's worth making the the trip like the being inside the bowl and looking up and seeing like the iconic um ceiling and just the the atmosphere you definitely feel it that you're in a special place for basketball but now when i was having to work the arena and use the old ass facilities back you know backstage so to speak um it's a it's a disaster it's amazing i think think actually haven't they updated a lot of that when when were you there because um last time i was there was probably 2015 so maybe they've i I think they've updated it since you left or well yeah since you left the rockets I, i think they've done a bit to upgrade the facilities yeah. Oh man, it was amazing. I got lost several times. I mean, maybe I'm just a moron. Very, very possible that that's the that's the case. But yeah, it was just backstage. It was such a crap fest, and um, I, I hated going there just because of that. But yeah, the the actual ambiance in the arena. There's nothing like it in in the NBA. Um, well, and, and you're in New York, right? I mean, you're you're in New York, the media capital of the world, right? So there's there's that. So there's there's lots of stuff like that that's attractive, but then when you t- take a really close look at the organization you're going to be playing for, there's a lot to to dislike about that. And what about Dallas? I mean, in all seriousness, is Porzingis a guy you want to build your franchise around? I think it's worth the risk for them. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think they gave up anything that that was really going to um, help them in the future, anyway. So I, I, I think from from their perspective, it's it's a it's a risk worth taking. Yeah, I mean, should we be giving Dallas the same kind of a uh, crap that we're giving the Knicks about being kind of a dysfunctional organization? I mean, they had that story that went away fairly fast about how. Uh, how bad they were internally with some of the sexual harassment type things. And to their credit, they seem to have at least publicly made steps to kind of, you know, push that aside and, and, and make things right. But I mean, they, they don't exactly have the most stellar reputation as an organization. And I guess faced with the prospect of losing the best player you've ever had finally to retirement, though it seems like Dirk has just been slowly dripping what's left of him, you know, onto the floor the last couple of years. But, um, yeah, they had to do. They had to do this. They had to do 
something like this. I, I applaud the move. I think it was a, I think it was good for them. Even if even if Porzingis never hits the floor again, which I don't think is going to happen. But even if he's he's not who he was in New York and never lives up to the potential. I mean, they swung for the fences. The only guy I feel bad for is poor DeAndre Jordan. I mean, all the the saga that got him to Dallas with all the the banana boat emoji gates from years a few years ago when he signed and then went back on it and then he finally gets to Dallas, has some good time there and then bye-bye. It was it was good having you DeAndre. So the basketball gods just did not want DeAndre Jordan in Dallas under any situation. Yeah, and just going back to something you said, you know, you were talking about the Mavericks and how they have not really been a great franchise over the last few years, but they have had stability that the Knicks haven't had. You know, Carlisle's been there for a long time. He's widely viewed as one of the best coaches in the NBA. Donnie Nelson has been there for a long time. He's, you know, viewed as a, as a very good executive. So, uh, you know, they, it's not like they're changing coaches and general managers and team presidents and whatnot all the time. There does seem to be some stability there that does not exist in New York. True. And that's more and more what you see becomes important for players and free agents where they want to go where you want to play you want to play for an organization like that but also if you're Chris Stapps and if you're the Mavericks you got to be excited about pairing him up with Luka Doncic who for my I mean has to be the most impressive rookie this season and arguably one of the most impressive rookies we've seen in a while um for him, I didn't. I'll be honest. I didn't pay a whole ton of attention to him at the beginning of the season, and you know he was starting a few impressive performances here and there. He started creeping up on some Dallas rookie marks, like he's first Dallas rookie with 20 points, 10 assists in a game since Jason Kidd, most 25 point games by Mav rookie since Mashburn. You know, like creeping up on some of the the best players in that in the organization has had, especially young players. But then he kind of just ratcheted it up to historic levels when he started, you know, second youngest to post a triple-double after Fultz last season. Youngest with a 30-point triple-double beating LeBron's mark. I mean, doing all these things, like combinations of points, rebounds, assists, that the only rookies who have ever accomplished this in in the last 30 years or so, like we're talking about LeBron, KD, Michael Jordan, like he has put himself up into an echelon that, um, you know, only the greats have gotten to in a half a season. So, I mean, number one, Justin, how impressed have you been with Luca, And how do you think the pairing with him and Porzingis is going to work? I mean, given Porzingis be, uh, being healthy next year. So obviously, yeah, there's a lot to like about Luca. You rattled off some of his accomplishments this season. You know, if you look at rookies who have averaged at least 20 points, five rebounds and five assists per game, there's only been four of them before this season. Oscar Robertson, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Tyreek Evans. One of those is not like the other. Um, Luca right now is averaging 20.7 points, 7 rebounds, 5.4 assists. So he's on pace to join those guys. And so that's some pretty fine company when you've got uh, three other Hall of Famers, or three Hall of Famers that you'll be joining, and, and Tyreek Evans. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, in terms of the, the fit with Porzingis, I, I see that being a pretty good fit, right? Because they're not really players who play the same who would play the same role for their team you know Luca's is going to be the primary ball handler and uh porzingis obviously would not be the primary ball handler for any team really and so i, I don't think there's going to be a lot of um friction there when those two play together that's you know they don't really have skill sets that overlap a whole lot and so i, I think they'll be um 
I, I think this trade will be mutually beneficial to, to those guys. Like, I, th- I think it's going to help Luca a lot, and I think it's going to help Porzingis a lot. Well, so, all right, so speaking of uh, Tyreek Tyre Evans being thrown into that, uh, the, the stat mishmash of all these great players, the greatness and the Tyreek Evans. So I want to ask you your opinion on how much is a good enough sample size to get an idea of a player like, like Luca or just any rookie in general, because for every rookie phenom that turns into the next perennial all-star, there are guys like Tyreek Evans or um, who else? I mean, Markel Fultz last year showing signs of that he would blossom into it. And then they just completely fall off a cliff or just devolve into mediocrity. So, I mean, at what point can you really know who, you know, what kind of a player you, you have on your hands? I mean, well, you never know for sure, right? I mean, I, I think though, like when you're when you're having a rookie season that's comparable to very few others in terms of quality, and it's a high quality season, I, I think there's a, it's a pretty good bet that that player is going to be a multiple time All Star, if not better. Um, so yeah, there, there's always exceptions, right? There's always the player like a Tyreek Evans who has a really good rookie season and you think, oh, okay, this guy's really going to develop into something else. And then just for one reason or another, it just doesn't happen. But, you know, for the most part, if you're you're killing it like this in your rookie season, you're probably going to be a really, really, really good pro. Yeah, and it, especially it's hard to remember that he's only 19 years old. Yeah, you know, I, I think we underestimate uh, how valuable his experience was over in Europe. I mean, you know, the, the EuroLeague is... is the best pro basketball league outside of North America. And he's playing there at the age of 16. So like when Ben Simmons was playing against, you know, high school teams that maybe didn't have a player taller than 6'3 or something like that, or or whatever, right? Or, uh, you know, Joel Embiid's at Kansas and he's playing against other kids that are 18, 19, 20 years old. That's not the same as playing against fully grown men in a professional basketball league that is of very high quality. And so, you know, I think the experience he got over there is much greater than the experience than someone might get at a Kentucky or a Duke here or in a high school here, for example. Um, and so I think we underestimate just, just how valuable that experience was. Well, I mean, even if Luca doesn't, you know, become a generational star or something like that, at least, I mean, he, he is definitely impressed with these first few months or few weeks of action um you know so much so that for the nba the fan voting for all stars they had him voted in as a starter um so i mean granted with the season that harden is having and you know these other players luca should not be a starter in the all-star game but i mean it just shows the level of popularity that he has already reached in a relatively short time with on a team that is no one is before this trade was exactly buzzing and talking about the Dallas Mavericks, but just watching highlights of him, seeing what he's done. I mean, it's got people excited so much so that they, they wanted to see him in the all-star game. But of course that didn't exactly work out, which is going to bring me to my rant of the week, which is that the all-star game, they don't give, they don't give a damn about the fan vote. This is not a game for the fans anymore because and I know I'm going to contradict myself. A, Luca did not deserve to start in the All-Star game. That's especially over Harden, who's having one of the craziest offensive seasons and a history of crazy offensive seasons. But at the same time, if this game is truly about the fans, 
allowing the player vote and the coach vote to override that and then leave him completely off the team altogether. I mean, what does that say to your fan base other than we really don't care who you want to see in this game? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't really get that worked up about the All-Star game. Um, I, I would prefer it to just be 100% fan vote. You know, yeah, you're going to get crazy results like Yao Ming starting when he's injured or something like that, or, you know, Luca starting this season when he's clearly not one of the two best um, or two or three best front court players, three best front court players in the um, NBA because I think he was listed as a front court player on the on the ballot. Um, but... Oh, that's right, because Derrick Rose was the uh, it was Steph and Derrick right, Rose, right? And right, then right, Derrick right. Rose was left off completely as well, right? So, like, I mean, like, yeah, if, if Derrick Rose and Luca were starting this game, I, I don't know that I'd really care that much. The All Star Game to me, it's an exhibition. It's something to entertain the fans. If the fans want to see Derrick Rose and Luka Doncic, so be it. I really am not going to get that worked up about it. That said, given that Luca was not chosen as a starter, ultimately. I don't think he was robbed by not being chosen as a reserve. The rules for picking the reserves are different. And to me, Luka did not deserve an all-star berth just based on the, the quality of his season. Yes, it's a very good season. It's particularly it's a great season for a rookie. But there are a lot of guys I probably would put ahead of him. Number one would be, would be Rudy Gobert. I think if anybody had an all-star beef, it's him. It, it To me, it just boggles my mind that he was not selected. And I know that if you say, okay, well, this guy should be an all-star, that you have to take somebody out. So I'm going to say that Clay Thompson, great player, should not be an all-star this season. There's no, no. way that Thompson should have gotten a berth over Rudy Gobert who has been Rudy for Go- the last two or three seasons the, the premier defensive player in the NBA. Rudy Gobert caught feelings over it as well. Did you see that? I did, and then I saw people making fun of him, and you know, whatever. I, I, Draymond, I felt, bad. Actually, I felt bad for the guy because, like, you can tell, like, it really, it really hurt him. He really was hoping to to get an All Star nod this year, and so I actually have some some sympathy for him because I, he he should have been selected. To me, it was just an egregious oversight that he didn't get selected. Well, the, this is why the NBA is the best because. You had this guy with a genuine show of emotion that led to people mocking him and led to Draymond Green coming in there and mocking him. And then Gobert firing back with, you know, references to Draymond Green Snapchatting a pick a pick of his own dick. So that this is what this is what the NBA does better than anyone. You take an all-star snub and emotion regarding that, and it just dovetails into oh remember when this guy snapchatted a pic a pic of his dick where where else does this happen only only in the nba yeah, um, I'm, gonna no, I'm gonna be no help here because i don't really provide that type of analysis so i'm, you I'm gonna leave this <laughs> let me, on to you I'm all right let gonna, me break down i'm just gonna listen the correlation between all-star snub emotion and snapchatting a pic of your own junk is there a correlation is there not that on the next episode of stat stories um no that I'm working on my, I have a formulation for my complete overarching view of the NBA that uh, maybe we can touch on in detail later. But the NBA to me does, does WWE better than WWE. Like the, the way they have your, your faces and your heels, you know, your good guys, your bad guys, the authority figures, the just over-the-top storylines and craziness that happens that WWE tries to pull off with script writers and acting and all this stuff. With the NBA, it just comes naturally. 
Like these guys cut promos on each other, building up to the big matches. And then afterwards, it's all right, move on. Then you got to find your next rival and so on and so on. And the NBA has just done it so well and so much so that, I mean, we care more about what's going to be happening in the next day with the trade deadline and all this kind of stuff than a lot of people will care about with it, what actually happens in the game. I mean, it's just, it has become such a glorious soap opera that no other sports league can even come close to. And yes, does it kind of, you can argue that, yeah, it's, it's kind of hurting the beauty of the game and all that kind of good stuff, but man, is it good for publicity and it's just every night it's always something you can't tune it off but so anyway that's that's my that's my my mega theme my mega analogy of the nba i don't know if you were ever a wwe fan i'm I'm not i'm not a hater but i don't watch it anymore i did as a kid and um yeah what they're doing what they're doing is definitely wwe pays a lot of people to try to manufacture this and they still don't do it as good as the nba does I mean, I don't know. These last few minutes, you've just lost me going in all these weird places. So let, let's maybe maybe we can find another topic for a very that I can small for a very small because... crossover audience that that knows wrestling and the NBA. They'll understand. They'll understand what I'm saying. Yeah, Kevin Kevin Durant pulled the ultimate heel turn. He was like Hollywood Hogan that all of a sudden joined the NWO. Did any of that uh, any of that make sense to you at all? I'm assuming Hollywood Hogan was Hulk Hogan. Uh, oh, oh my God! Listen, you need, all right, Hogan, '80s Hogan, super American star, red and yellow, the super good guy. Everyone loved him. The ultimate babyface. Then he goes to WCW and eventually joins the NWO. Kevin Nash, Scott Hall. These were the bad guys. So Hogan, Hogan made a heel turn. Is what that's called. He went from being the best good guy to being a bad guy. It was I, shocking. I'm familiar with the heel turn. I just all yeah. right. Kevin, Kevin Durant. He was the babyface. He was uh, you, the real MVP. Everyone, everyone loved Kevin Durant. All of a sudden, he ripped open that OKC shirt. To show that that Golden State NWO, biggest heel turn ever. They're the same. They're one and the same. The only difference is the NBA. It's just happening naturally. Anyway, there's a. There's a few people who will appreciate that this analogy and this huge, huge rabbit hole that I've taken us on. All right, but back. Let's get back on topic here. This was your fault for uh, getting me off on this tangent. I blame you completely. So, but speaking of all stars, all star game, it is what it is. Um, but speaking of a, a multi-time all star this week, we may not be able, may not see him for over a year. Uh, John Wall who's already recovering from an operation, got an infection and then slipped and fell in, in his home reportedly, ruptured his Achilles. He had got to have it fixed. He's going to be out for at least 12 months. I would imagine it's going to be even longer than that. I'd be shocked if we see him at all next season. Um, John Wall, kind of a love him or hate him type guy here. A lot of just a lot of hot takes on John Wall. Like, so Justin, what do you... What were your thoughts upon hearing this injury? You know, your thoughts of Wall as a player in general, and do you think that player is ever going to step on the court again? All right, so a lot to tackle there. First, just as a human being, I feel really, really bad for John Wall. Yeah, I mean, imagine being told that you can't do this thing you love for the next 12 months. You know, that's devastating for him. And, you know, we, we complain about players like Kevin Durant jumping teams, and yet here was Wall who committed himself to Washington Right when he was a free agent. Now, of course, he got he got an incredible contract. He got a massive contract, but 
you know, he he did choose to stay in D.C., and, you know, I, I think that fans should respect that, right? Because if, if you're going to criticize a guy like Kevin Durant for leaving a situation like he had in OKC, you also need to give credit to a guy like Wall who chooses to stay in an organization like the Wizards. So, so yeah, so as a human, like, I just feel really bad for him. It's, it's terrible. Um, this injury is going to be devastating for him because... Pre-injury, he was considered to be one of the fastest players in the NBA. He relied on his speed. Yep. And now that he's he's almost 30, right? Is he 29? He's 30, something like that. Like that that's just going to be a really really tough injury for him to overcome. And the problem is he doesn't really have these things that you could normally fall back on as you age. He's not a good shooter. I think his career three-point percentage is like 32%. So he's not a good shooter. And if he is not going to be back to 100% in terms of his speed, I don't know what what skills he's going to have to fall back on, and um, just in terms of like Wall being a disappointment, I, I, again I think we're being hypercritical of him. You know, he yes he was a first overall pick in the 2010 draft. So I went back and looked, and it's okay. So if you include the 2010 draft and then all the years before that, all the drafts before that, there were 64 first overall picks. Guess how many of those first overall picks won at least one title? Since what year again? So it's from 2010 backwards. So you're talking about 64 number one overall picks. How many of those guys won at least one title? Four. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> 19, 19. But Four. still, it's you know, it's 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 fewer than half. And some of those guys that were first overall picks who won a title didn't really do it as the star of their team. Okay, for example, like Michael Thompson. He won a couple titles with the Lakers as a, as a big man coming off the bench. Mark Aguirre won a couple titles with the Pistons, and Aguirre was a good player for them, but he was not their star. You know, Andrew Bogut was a number one overall pick, won a title with the Warriors, but he was definitely not the star of those teams. And so, you know, I, I, the the idea that you know a number one overall pick is going to bring you a title more often than not, it won't. And I would really classify Wall as more like sort of this this typical median number one overall pick. No, he's not a trans you know he's not a, a transcendental superstar. Very few of the, of the number one overall picks are. He's also not a bust. You know he's somewhere in the middle there. He, he's he's a very very good very good NBA player. And in terms of you know what you would get at number number one overall pick in the draft, I think he kind of falls in the middle. So I don't think he's been a bust, and he certainly hasn't been a boom. He's just kind of. You know he's he's been an average number one overall pick, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. No, yeah, he's what career nineteen points, uh, nine assist averages, which I mean, not bad at all, not bad at all, especially for a point guard. I think it's just he has had the unfortunate um, circumstances of playing in the East during the reign of LeBron, um, where no one no one else was going to be able to make any noise in that entire conference, and also playing in an era with just resurgent point guard offensive explosions, right? From Westbrook and Curry, um, Harden, if you count him as a point guard. Um, so th- those good numbers that he's putting up just pale in comparison to what some of these other guys are doing. And I think that's kind of unfair to um, to hold him to that to those standards. But, I mean, at the end of the day, every season with him, the, you know, except for the first two where they were struggling when he was young. I mean, they hovered around 40-ish wins a season. They never really took that next step when it looked like they they could have been the team to challenge LeBron in the East. Um, They never really did. And I agree with you that 
if I'm a Wizards fan, if I'm John Wall or John Wall fan or whatever, I'd be worried about him coming back. And um, I checked; he's he's 28 now, so likely we won't see him on the court again until he's 30 or close to 30. Yeah, I, I'd be worried that the the John Wall that we that we've seen before is not going to be coming back just due to the nature of this injury. But I mean, I hope for his sake that that, that that's not the case. But so if you're yeah, the he's, wi- he's going to need some sort of like Jason Kidd late career resurgence. Or not resurgence. I don't know. Emergence of a shot, I guess. Because remember, Kid like was was just a terrible shooter early oh, yeah. in his career, and then later in his career, he actually developed into a pretty good three point shooter um, for the Mavericks, for the Knicks, and and so if Wall is able to do something like that, and you know, and become a you know a better shooter, he's going to be able to help teams. But if he's going to come back limited in terms of his his speed, and he's going to be the same shooter he was, he's really going to struggle to to find success on the court. So if you're the Wizards, what do you, what do you do here? Um, I mean, he he's under contract for four more years, like forty something million a year. Like, like th- this is a franchise that's in trouble. They're not going to be able to move this guy. I mean, do you, do you already start the rebuilding process? Is Bradley Beal good enough to to build around, or do you need to start uh, shipping off and just trying for as many draft picks as possible? Yeah, I'm wondering if they're just going to tear the whole thing down at this point, right? Because you've got you've got Porter that, who's making a lot of money. You've got Beal. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to decide what you want to do with Beal. Uh, Beal's a really really good player, but do you want to keep him around during a rebuild? I, I don't know about that. Um, I, I think it might be time ta- might be time to tear the whole thing down, start all over again, and that's going to mean some really really lean years in Washington. I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean they. They knew what they were getting into because they uh, they invited the curse into their house. They signed, oh the curse the curse of Dwight. Yeah. They signed Dwight, and everywhere he goes, pain <laughs> pain follows. Yeah, the uh, lit- lit- literally haven't been the same and since, figuratively. He, since he left. Um, yes. Anyway, all right, John Wall. We wish you the wish you get well soon. Hopefully, you'll be back um, one way or another. But. Um, Man, the, I think the odds are against him. He's facing an uphill climb. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. We have possibly, by the time you're listening to this, we have a chance that everything we say is just completely obsolete because there have been multiple Woj bombs that just override everything that we've said. And who knows what the NBA landscape is going to look like in the next couple days. But that's why we love it. That's why it's fun. Um, best time of the year if you're if you're a sports fan um, for the NBA. So thank you for listening. Be sure and follow us on Twitter. Mine is at Chad J. Shanks. Justin is at Jake Batco. Also, be sure to follow the company that pays us. That's at StatMuse. And get on StatMuse.com or download the app and start asking some of your questions yourself. And we will see you next week to talk about whatever craziness is going to go down in the next 24 hours. So we'll see you then.